HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, March 8th, 2022, and we've got some interesting guests today. We're going to talk about touring the Shelton Brothers' greatest hits. So let's go around the room and introduce everyone. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. Max. Hey, this is Max Toasty. Uh, I'm one of the owners of Deep Ellum uh, in Alston, Massachusetts, and Lone Star Taco Bar in Alston, Massachusetts, and Cambridge, Massachusetts. And that's Boston area, right? Boston area, yes, sir. All right. And Lauren and Colin? Hi, I'm Lauren Sezak, and I'm the co-owner of Delaware Supply in Albany, New York. We're a craft beer bar. And I am Colin Pratt, also co-owner of Delaware Supply in Albany, New York. That's great. And BR? I'm BR Rolia, formerly of Shelton Brothers Importers and currently a freelance beer consultant. Great. So great to have you back on. I think you've been on 40 shows over 12 years. I feel years, like so an you're old hand of, here, Jimmy. <laughs> well, you're the all-star. And then one of the Shelton brothers himself, Mr. Joel. Joel. Hi, I'm one of the Shelton brothers myself. Uh, <laughs> I used to be in Shelton brothers, and now I have a, a company called Inner Circle Beer Tours, and I haven't been on the show as much as BR, which is not fair. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to talk a little about the Shelton Brothers. I mean, for me, uh, we've talked about it before on the air, but I did meet Dan Shelton uh, in about 2006 when I had a, a East Village beer bar called Jimmy's Number 43. And I will say it changed my world. He also told me the beer I had sucked. Um, <laughs> and ver very quickly, I went from uh, having no Shelton Brothers on tap to six of my 12 lines for several years. So I was hooked. And it definitely opened my whole eyes to what uh, the world of beer could be and beer styles. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I've never looked back. So I met Max Tosti two summers ago, and we were talking about craft mezcal, but of course we started talking about beer. So Max, tell us your story uh, of the Shelton Brothers and the beers, and we'll, we'll, we're going to go deep into this today because... Everyone on this show uh, loves the, the beers and the the people who are, are the Shelton brothers. Yeah, I, I I'll have to try to figure out the short the short version. So basically, um, I, I kind of fell into the beer world through the culinary wine world, and uh, I got exposed to craft beer in the late nineties, and uh, I really kind of fell so in over love with over twenty years ago. Uh, almost 25 years ago, really. Wow. Um, actually, early 90s, I was drinking beers in bars, and I, I always liked the British beers because they just they had tasted like something. And this is like in, you know, 94 or something. But um, I, I, I kept noticing in the back of these random bottles that I would find on the shelves uh, with funny, you know, Flemish or German on the front, I saw this little label on the back imported by Shelton Brothers in the early, early 2000s. And I thought, who oh, are these, everything that I buy from these guys, I, I really like it, you know. And then I had the opportunity to uh, manage a, a bar in Cambridge. And 
I kind of had my hands tied a little bit with what I could buy, but a gentleman who some of us might know, um, Daniel Lanigan, who's a real force of nature in his own right, uh, he and I haven't always been best of friends, but we get along okay. But he, he basically told me that my beer sucked, that I was serving at this bar <laughs> I was running. And he said, you got to check out this this Shelton Brothers stuff. So he brought me a Mars U, uh, Mars Ungeschwundetes. Ungeschwundetes. Uh, and he brought me a bottle of uh, what else did he? Do? He brought me a bottle of um, uh, Terrace Bulba, I believe, and then I think he brought me a bottle of I think it was Capazine or Vice. I think it was the third one. And I just I drank these beers, and and the thing that really has got me going and has always kind of kept me loving the Shelton Brothers beers is there's a sort of a dryness and a nuance to all of the beers, regardless of country, there's just sort of a, there's a thing about them that really appeals to my palate. There's uh, not to get too geeky, but like the beers are always really well attenuated. They're always like, they always taste correctly made to me. And and, and I can say that now, but at the, at the time I didn't really know what I was talking about or what I was tasting. They just tasted really yummy and they didn't taste like they had <clears throat> anything extra about them that was unnecessary. Over time I learned what I liked about them, but um, I, I pretty much fell in love with them at that point, which would have been about 2003. Um, and I try, I basically in my career filled as much of my restaurants and draft lines with their products as I could get my hands on. So um, Max, when did you open Deep Ellum in the Boston area? We opened Deep Ellum, uh, January, um, 4th of 2007. Um, and we, served Shelton Brothers beers at that location and my Lone Star Taco Bars until their beers were no longer available uh, about, what, a year and a half ago? Yeah. And yeah. I, what percentage of your, like, your taps, your bottles, you know, how much of your, your bar was was full of Shelton selections? Uh, you know, it kind of ebbed and flowed. It depended on, on the season because I would get a bunch of cask um, I would get a bunch of British casks whenever they came around. I would buy a whole ton of them, like, you know, 15 or 20 and store them in my cooler and then pour them one after another. Uh, I would get German gravity kegs. I'd buy like, I remember I bought like 40 of them one time wow. <laughs> and just poured them like from every night for like three months. And then, um, but regular on the regular, a anywhere from four to 12 draft lines of my 22 um would have been shelton brothers on the on the regular and it, it there was a few in particular i mean we poured terrace bulba pretty much all the time we poured a beer from mars all the time um and then as much of the sort of ridgeway stuff as i could get i would pour and then you know obviously there's the, all the odds and ends i mean everything from phantom to cantillons to you know whatever else I could get in their portfolio, but a whole, a whole slew. Really. Yeah. And like I said before, like there's, there's a theme, I mean, meeting, getting to know Dan fairly well and getting to know Will. And I never actually knew Joel a whole, that, all that well, but we've met a couple of times um, over the years, but the, there's this thing about their beers. They're just, they have this dryness and this palate and there's a sort of a celebration of nuance in all of the beers that that I always really had a lot of respect for and really enjoyed. And I think that that was something that was so unique um, to all of their breweries that they represented, especially compared to what was happening in like the the modern American craft brewing movement. Yeah, like the big imperial IPAs and everything. Yeah. Um, great, great intro, Max. Let's let's go to Lauren and Colin. So um, you guys tell us your backstory and how you got to know some of the Shelton Brothers beers and a few that stand out for you. Absolutely. So Colin and I actually met um, in 2014 at Westmere Beverage in Gilderland, New York. And it was just a mile down the road from the house I grew up in. I needed a job after graduating college. So I went in, Colin was the manager and he hired me. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of my beer education. Um, Shelton Brothers was all over the shelves, for sure. I think Pesce Mortel from Dio de Ciel was probably the first beer I had from their portfolio. Good one. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing beer. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I'd say Lauren and I have kind of gone down this journey together. Uh, 
experimenting with Shelton and falling in love with all their products. Um, but I started working at Westmere Beverage as a bottle boy, what we called them, just sorting through recyclables. Um, and that was really just like my exposure to getting into craft beer in general, just picking up random beers off the shelves, trying them out. Um, I didn't have much responsibility at that time, so it was just like fun to experiment. Um, and then in time, yeah, just starting to go down the import aisle and trying out all these beers and other managers and the owner telling me about them. And yeah, and that really kind of kicked everything off. Yeah, so three years go by and we open up our own craft beer bar, 12 lines, um, focus specifically on draft. We now do have a bottle selection and we did do a bottle shop kind of format during the pandemic. But um, I think it was pretty quick when we, I mean, I think BR probably sent us the inventory over and I bet you Dear to CL, Cachet Mortel was one of the first beers we put on tap from the portfolio. Well, VR, um, I remember a couple years ago, maybe we were talking about a cask show, but you definitely uh, mentioned Delaware Supply. Uh, yeah, well, they, I mean, they've always done, have a great program. Um, it also could have been because uh, one of the years of the festival, um, Daniel Thierry was traveling up the East Coast uh, and he ended up, he was looking for some places to stop and do events. And, you know, so much it's, especially if, if brewers fly into New York, they just stay around the city. I mean, maybe venture up to Westchester to do events, but we're really happy to be able to uh, have Thierry go up there and, uh, you know, and visit. So it might have also been when, when he was on the show. I'm not sure. Yeah. Beer, but they've I think always been very good, supportive. Yeah. This is a good show to hear about you and Shelton because um, a, a big part of the, that all the beers are their relationships. I mean, there, there's so many of those brewers that, that came to the States that, that I've met through you and Joel. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, part of it was, you know, brewers would come over just to, to visit the U.S. Some of them would do collaborations. Some would come over um, for the Craft Brewers Conference, um, World Beer Cup, uh, others, you know, just to travel. And then once we started to do our festivals where, you know, basically in order to attend the brewers had to be present and to, to pour the beer because it, we didn't want that to be something where, you know, it's just a bunch of beers and people come and drink them. We wanted people to interact with the people who actually made the beers because that was a big part of Shelton brothers as, as you know, Joel can go into detail as well. Like is the people was a, was, it was a huge part, which is why the tours, why this tours were started up and just to get a sense of who's making the beer, it's not just some faceless conglomerate, you know, brewing on an industrial scale. So that's why we'd often also have, you know, when the brewers would, they often would fly into JFK and it was great to be able to bring them all around. And a lot of them often, you know, once they first, when they first started coming, had no idea of the American beer scene. I remember, you know, one brewery we're talking about, you know, well, you know, basically when, when hops were everywhere in the, the early aughts and, or uh, sorry, the, the early, like 2010, 2012. And, explaining that Americans just love their hops and brewers saying like, oh, no, 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 you know, we could maybe go up to like 45 IBUs, but more than that would be crazy. And then coming here and tasting some, you know, incredibly aggressively <laughs> hopped West Coast IPAs and realizing, oh, okay. So it was an education for them as well, but, you know, mutually beneficial all around for, for the people at Shelton Brothers, for the bars and stores and for the brewers. You know, I'm, I'm going to make the point of mentioning, uh, and everyone already has so far, different beers that we loved. And with UBR, you, I know for a while you had the French portfolio. And one thing about the whole Shelton portfolio is that who would have been drinking French beer? You know, who knew of it besides Cronenborg or something? But two of my favorites, one was the Thierry, I think it was the Extra Dry. And the other one was the, the Cuvée de Jonquil which I still don't know the name of the brewery, but th those are just two, two beers that were so drinkable, as Max said, correctly made beer. You know, maybe they were Saison, maybe they were Blondes. So perfect and something I could drink every day and not feel like I was missing on, out on anything. No, they're, they're both. I mean, the, the Thierry Extra is a very hoppy for a european beer a hoppy a dry saison um it's kind of a 
a little bit of a hybrid between a billiard guard and a saison, but certainly more in the saison territory. Uh, Daniel Turiak calls it a saison, but it still has a sort of a French element to it. Um, and then the Obaron is the uh, the cuvée des Jonquilles, uh, the daffodil, the cuvée, the, the daffodil cuvée. And both of those breweries are ones that Joel takes you to on the Inner Circle beer tours. <laughs> and we're holding off on Joel because we're going to get to that. Um, <laughs> that's the that's the hook for the end of the show. Um, Max, let's uh, talk more about beers. Let's pick cool. pick one that you start that you want to talk more about, and uh, then Lauren and Colin will do the same. I mean, there's so many. I I'm actually um, I'm just thinking you're uh, you're talking about Daniel Thierry's beers, and I, I just absolutely adored those beers um the turia extra and i had the pleasure of meeting him several times coming to uh coming to deep ellum years ago um uh yvonne betts from terrace bulba i mean terrace bulba and brasserie de la seine is just an absolute wonderful wonderful uh gift to the world um and actually i have the the pleasure right at this moment i'm drinking um it's called saison de smearlap which was um oxbow brewing up here up in portland Got their hands on a whole bunch of uh, Terrace Bulba, and they refermented it with their own little culture, and bottled it and called it Saison de Smearlap, and it's uh, wow. it's really awesome. <laughs> uh, it's probably a story I'm not supposed to tell, but I don't really care. It's um, yeah, yeah. it's basically ter- it's basically refermented Terrace Bulba that they. I mean, shit, sitting, there, in, sitting there, in a warehouse. There, there's a war on right now, so I think you can. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. Talk about beer, you know. <laughs> What about uh, you? you? Know, I, I tend to grab. I tended to gravitate. Sorry, I'll I'll try to keep not going, keep going. on. I tended to gravitate towards the German stuff because I'm always I'm just such a German fan and all the Franconian beers. I mean, Weiss, all of the Weissenauer beers, the Klosterbrauerei Weissenauer, just their whole lineup. And I had the pleasure of meeting those guys a few times. And um, it, it's interesting, Lauren and, and Colin. You guys mentioned uh, the the Dudeciel. Um, there that's a fun brewery up in montreal and they have so many wonderful beers but that i i remember that peche mortel that was like one of those holy grail beers that you know if if one brew if one beer bar in town got a keg of it they were like oh man you got a keg damn and then you know it's like this sort of, people would compete compete over getting it <laughs> well um and i i'm gonna join in what you said about the franconi beers Vizanoa and I also at Jimmy's forty three for many years. We we only got a few each season, but we we, we got some of the gravity kegs and whether it was Lan beers or other things. Um, this is a good intro to Joel since we're talking Franconia and Joel. You can uh, come off mute and um, let, let's hear about your your favorite Shelton beers and what you got on the tour because I know that's what you want to talk about. I feel like a like a Igor the freaky guy in the church. You let me get off mute. <laughs> yes sir yes sir i can talk now no what was the question jimmy sorry i wasn't paying attention oh i don't know man franconia tell us about your tours no that's where well, we franconia is the is the heart of the whole thing i think because uh, my brother dan uh explored all over that place in the 90s i had been there earlier i went to bamberg when i was playing a gig in nuremberg i was playing the trombone in nuremberg and i did a, a rauk beer trek in 1989 so I was the first Shelton to go there, actually, and I, I had a rock beer and went back to work. But then years later, Dan was going all over the place with Ray Dieter, your 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 best old buddy, Ray Dieter. Uh, they have some videos still out uh, on those treks, I think. Uh, so I, in a way, I, I rediscovered it uh, via Dan. And uh, when I started to actually work with the company, which was much later than when it started, um, I started to uh, be the rep for Germany, and that more or less meant Franconia. So I started to go there every summer with Dan. We just drove around to all these places, and it was, it was amazing. And he he knew every inch of that place. He knew every brewery, every tree, every rock, and uh, so it became eventually. Uh, the, I think the first real tour that we set up, and it started happening sort of uh, spontaneously. We brought a lot of industry people over, whoever wanted to go, and it was total chaos. But now it's very organized under my strict rule. <laughs> and what what's the rule? <laughs> Oh, you have to pay for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's always puts us on best behavior. Well, I want to just talk about, since we're talking styles, because I think that's a big part of what you guys did. You know, again, uh, you know, 20 years ago, you thought German beer. Um, there weren't, I don't think anyone in craft was thinking about German beer. 
Um, but then you guys had all the Franconi beers. So what was different about those beers? Um, let's get that talking. Cause I, I think Max, let's go there. Franconia, Max and Joel Franconia. Um, I can say a lot, but I want you guys to say it. I mean, the flavor of those beers combined with the nuance and the subtlety and the clean, clean, cleanness of them is just shocking. I mean, to be so full flavored yet so subtle at the same time is is sort of baffling. And those beers, they 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 are like that. That's that's they're sort of the thing about them that I find unifies them all. I mean, the Rauk beers. <clears throat> With Joel mentioned, you know, obviously they're specific because they've got a smoky element to them, but all of the other uh, beers all around Bamberg and in the Franconia region, and uh, I've probably only drank about twenty different of the of them, maybe more, I don't know. Um, but they're they just have so much flavor, yet they're so quaffable. They don't we don't weigh your palate down. You can just drink them, uh, you know, beer after beer after beer. And you don't get tired of them. And I find that that's a very unique thing about their that style. And it's not just, I mean, that's I guess that's kind of a lager thing in general. But I think specifically the Franconian stuff, they have so much more flavor. You know, you can drink a whole bunch of Northern German Pilsner. It goes down like water and, you know, that's fun too. But the Franconian stuff, like, it's drinkable, but it also has so much going on. Um, there's so much character. I, I just love them. So what, what is it like for me? It was Mars and Gespundet? Max mentioned it. Joel, what, what, why? For years, I thought Mars and Gespundet was the greatest lager in the world. The one beer that if I had it on, not only would I drink it all, my customers would. Uh, I think it's one of many that I could survive on solely for the rest of my life. Um, but um, I think there are a lot of beers there that you'd be happy to drink every day. Uh, there's Mars, which was relatively easy to work with because it was a, a sort of big established brewery. We had to sort of dig deeper to find things like Munchsenbach, Bayer, uh, things like that. Um, I'm equally mad about those kind of beers, the lawn beers and the, the lagers from those places. Um, and they all do, they're all different, but they all share something. And like Max was saying, they're very clean. I would also though say there's, there's a lot of earth to it which is different from being not clean, but it's like this very perfectly purely made thing, but you still get this little bit of grain, a little bit of earth to it. And that's what makes it really unique uh, compared to all the really, really clean lagers that don't have that much character. There is something in it that you really taste the land and the glass as, as weird as that sounds. It's absolutely there. And I think everybody who's been there recognizes that. Yeah. Joel, you know, going back from the early days, what, what defined the, the Shelton Brothers selections for you guys? Because I remember, you know, with wine, there was Neil Rosenthal selections in New York, Kermit Lynch in Berkeley, California, where there was something about, you know, terroir was important. Well, the, the, the very first beer that Shelton Brothers had was Cantillon. So that's kind of a weird base beer. But uh, so it was really about us getting that beer for ourselves because we loved it so much. Um, and it sort of branched out from there. I mean, this was Dan's work mostly in the beginning, of course. Will was along too. I wasn't around so much, but basically they had to add more beers to the portfolio. Then it became this obsession, finding all the greatest beers in all these countries. And I think if you look at the old website, Dan's description of the beers, and maybe Will's also, we're always saying our beers are dry, not sweet. And I always thought that was kind of funny because obviously <laughs> some of the beers have some sweetness. Uh, every beer has some sweetness. But it's funny, that was the the mantra. Uh, and so there was this thing that, yeah, we don't, we don't want to support big imperials or, or we're not really that into monastic doubles, you know, doubles, triples, whatever. That was what was really trendy from Belgium, for example. And our first beers being Belgian, Dan countered that with De La Seine or earlier on Duranc, things like that, which were almost the opposite. And they were actually hoppy Belgian beers, which was completely foreign to most people. That's great. Hey, Lauren and Colin. So um, let's uh, keep talking about the beers that inspired you. Yeah. Um, just so you know, this has been a really fun conversation for us for the past couple of weeks since you <laughs> sent us that email. We've been loving trying to come up with even a short list of beers. Where to begin with it, really? Where do you start? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, De La Santa's Boba has been brought up. Uh, We're drinking it right now. <laughs> yeah, phenomenal beer. Um, Kyrie, definitely. Um, I think the one that I continually just like crave right now, maybe because we can't get it, we haven't been able to get it, but Timothy Taylor. Yeah, Landlord. Yeah. On my list. Yeah, that's, Landlord. that's big on our list. I think the first time we had Timothy Taylor, this is just, this is nuts. Um, Colin went to pick up some beer from our distributor and Timothy Taylor was in breakage. So he, the you know, our rep was like, just load up a box. And Colin grabbed a few bottles of breakage Timothy Taylor, yeah. like covered in like, you know, these glass shards. Glass shards. And that was our first time drinking it. And at that moment, we both fell in love with that beer. Big we immediately emailed BR. I was like, we need to. <laughs> well, I think our first email was, hey, BR, <laughs> can we get kegs of this? <laughs> Which the answer was no. Always <laughs> no we kind of tried very hard for that, and we're never <laughs> able to get cakes. Yeah, but it became our house beer very quickly. Um, yeah, there's just something about it. It's just so, I mean, like, quaffable. Sessionable. Sessionable. Um, Balance. You don't get tired of it. And yeah, just like beers like that, you just don't, I don't know, a lot of stateside breweries, like, they, they, like those styles just don't show up as much, and it's... They're unbelievable. And the character isn't there. They're not replicable. Like We just haven't figured out in America how to make beers that taste like that. I don't know. So what, what what's on your list right now? And and if I may ask, any of these uh, former Shelton beers, where are you getting them from? We're getting them from Lime Ventures, which is an importer based out on the West Coast. It's um, called Lime, yeah. Lime Ventures? Lime, L-I-M-E, like the fruit. So Lime Ventures yeah. uh, had been the Shelton Brothers distributor for California. And then they ended up getting their importer's license and have picked up some of the breweries uh, that Shelton Brothers was importing. Wow. So th there are some. So who's, who's on that list right now? Um, Lauren, so, do you know what you're getting from them? So we're, we're still able to get Dillison. Um, we're able to get Coniston. Um, we have two beers in front of us right now. We're drinking Terrace Boba and we're drinking um, Coniston's XB um, Blueberry Bitter. Love we're that also beer. able to get... Oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the same... Um, you guys all know, but it's the same um, as Blueberry Bitter, but they use the... They, they dry hop it with Mount Hood instead of... Um, is it Challenger? Challenger. That they normally use in Blueberry um, well, I think just talking to you guys, it makes me want to sit and drink. And I, I do feel that <laughs> the, the Shelton Brothers, the beer is really, uh, I, I think we could say if we're fans of Shelton Brothers, we're, we're, we've all got something in common and we don't have to explain it to each other. That's the hardest thing is explain to other people because you're saying Coniston, you're saying Timothy Taylor. And I'm like, yeah, and they're from England. <laughs> and we hardly <laughs> ever get them. And, and BR, did you ever work with, the, you've worked with those beers, right? Well, in, in I mean, terms you of, sold them all. Yeah, so. yeah. In you, I mean, I wasn't the brewery representative, but certainly, yeah, you know, worked with them, bringing them into the into the New York market. Yeah. How, how did the? I mean, that, I mean, I understand. Like, as as you guys evolved, you you had far flung beers. You had Anchorage, which was great. You had things from New Zealand, but how did you? You had Belgium and Germany and France. I know it sounds obvious to say England. I still, I still can't understand. How did you have beers from all these countries that were so good and so unique? Well, as, as Joel was saying, it became part of the brothers' mission to, to find those really unique, interesting breweries. And, you know, the obviously was going to start out with Belgium, Germany, the UK as, you know, being sort of these, these cradles of, of beer. Um, but then realizing that there were a lot of other areas outside of, of Western Europe or, you know, say that, that, that central part who had either a traditional beer culture or a new and emerging beer culture. Uh, so, you know, went to, to Scandinavia, did Nor they had Norwegian beers, whether they were the traditional farmhouse or more, more modern interpretations, Danish, Swedish, um, New Zealand, Australia, Japan, um, but still, still the, the same philosophy of finding beers that were drinkable that we'd also want to drink ourselves. You know, it wasn't simply like, oh, this is a hot new thing, so 
let's grab it. It was more like, do we like the beers? Do we like the people? Um, you, you know, does it make sense? Is it something that, that we would want to bring home, you know, home ourselves and drink? Yeah. Hey, Max, when we were, we were doing the pre-show chat, your first yep. question to Lauren and Colin was, you said, why? <laughs> no, I, well, I said it warmed my heart that, um, uh, some people were opening a bar in 2017 that were serving traditional beer styles. And uh, is that what you're referencing, Jimmy? Yes. Yeah. Um, because I felt like, <clears throat> if anything, I've by 2017, I'd gotten kind of discouraged <laughs> by the lack of interest in those styles, even though that's all I wanted to pour and all I was interested in. And that was one thing that, you know, we talk about Shelton Brothers and how they've improved our professional lives um i think drawing attention to these brewers as you know real craftspeople, but not treating them like rock stars but more as in like artisans i really appreciated that sort of perspective and the the quality of the beers were so based in tradition of where these people were from that when you know when we had a chance to meet a lot of these brewers in at my bar over the years, you know, there, I think, I think BR, you said this about how surprised the brewers were about the American scene. They just were so, they're such humble people. And they basically were coming from a place where they were trying to do their thing. You know, they were either, especially with the Franconian stuff, like they were basically either replicating what their fathers and grandfathers had done or tried to improve it or tried to maintain it or, you know, some of the other regional and of, from the other countries, the brewers were basically, they were very much of where they were, were from and they weren't necessarily uh, shooting for the stars and doing what was going on in the American brew scene, which was basically trying to reinvent the wheel every time they brewed a new beer. Um, they were really, there was a real reverence to the traditional styles of where these people were from that as a, as a lover of food and a real, like, and a lover of anthropological things, like, I found that to be so, uh, like, infatuating. I just, like, all these people were so cool and so hip, but they were so humble, and the products were so delicious. So, you know, you hear their story, and then you taste their products, and then you meet them, and they're super fucking cool. And it's like, oh, my God, like, how could you not love these people? Yeah. And and the Shelton brothers, they assembled this whole catalog and whole group that were they really had they were all cool but they they weren't trying to be cool and i had yeah. being in the being in the beer scene for 20 years you know i met so many people who were trying so hard to be cool and they were making all this schlocky crap that everybody liked because it had like you know i don't know some fucking stupid bark from south america in it or some bullshit <laughs> and there's these people coming over from europe and they're like oh thanks for liking my beer let's have one together and you drink the beer and it's like, Oh my God. And it just, the whole thing was so foreign to me and so wonderful uh, that <clears throat> I couldn't help but just like fall in love with all these people and these beers. Um, no, no, had, it, it was great. I'm, I'm going to just say when I met Dan Sheldon in 2006, I was, um, I think I had on a, a variety of, of mostly imports with different styles. And I had on a, a, a Belgian triple, which I thought was pretty great. And um, he basically told me that it sucked. And next thing you know, I had I had Duranke Guldenberg, which was, and, and I noticed your, what you said, like the balance and the dryness, and also didn't give me a hangover. Like I, I could drink eight triples in one night and my head would pound. And when I was drinking Duranke Guldenberg, I, I guess I'm saying there's health benefits to, to good <laughs> beer, which I can say, because I'm not, I'm not a brewer. It's health but, food. Health food. Um, it's you know without food, the added yeah with like with the I think there was something about I just want to say this one because it was important to me Duranke Goldenberg it was something about that the, the 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 gravity was from the malt it wasn't from candied sugar and that's that stuck with me and um, it made me start thinking that that maybe that really bad headache I had the next day was because of the candied sugar or something else so we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. We're geeking out on Shelton Brothers, and we'll be talking about the tours that, that Joel Shelton still does on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. 
Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. You can become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. There's over 30 shows about food and drinks and farms and everything else. And uh, the core crew is just at the Charleston Wine and Food. So there's some special episodes coming out. So again, heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So we got a great crew here we're talking about some of the greatest uh, Shelton Brother hits, um, which I like to say because it's almost like a band, right, Max? Absolutely, man. Yeah. and It's, a, it's, a, it's an ensemble, Jimmy. Thank you. When, when we met, I mean, we just met last summer because we were talking about the Bola's Old Boss and the, the, the Mez Colin Pizzoli event. Um, you mentioned Will Shelton, and uh, right away the light went off, and I was like, one day we have to do a show and get Max on to talk about the glory days of craft beer at Deep Ellum. Um, give me a Will Shelton story and tell us about one more beer that, that, that is memorable to you. Uh, well, that's a good one. Will, one Will Shelton story. That's, that's going to be hard. Um, <laughs> so Will Shelton, Will Shelton and I became pretty friendly and I, I just spoke to him on the phone uh, a couple months ago, actually. Um, and we'd stayed in touch over the years. Um, Dan Shelton and I knew each other fairly well, but he he was living kind of abroad for a while. But uh, Will was closer to our our uh, where I was in Boston. Um, you know, I think my favorite my favorite Shelton brother story, just in general, and Will and Dan were both there. Uh, the the Craft Brewers Conference came to Boston. I think it was twenty fourteen or oh. 2010 i actually kind of forget now it was at least 13 years ago it was a while ago but the the craft brewers conference was in boston and you know all the beer bars in town uh were having events and they were going to host events or they were going to have this brewer brewer do a tap takeover and so on and uh, i honestly I, I always thought tap takeovers were so corny and i never wanted to do like beer dinners and i've always been sort of a jerk i just always thought things were corny that other people did. So I was trying to think of a, of a cool thing to do that would be different. So we had a different event every night and there was a, I did a Belgian event and then I did like a West coast brewery event and invited a bunch of West coast brewers. But then my favorite event was we did a Shelton brothers event and we invited all the Shelton brothers brewers that were there. Dan and Will were there and it was so incredible. I mean, Yvonne, uh, Betts was there, and there was, I'm trying to remember now. Norbro was there, and geez, there was a whole bunch of these bunch of people there. It was really amazing. And Yvonne from Brasserie de la Sun. Yeah, Yvonne yeah, Betts from Brasserie de la Sun. Yeah. Uh, and it was just a, it was a, an incredible event. And there was our our bar holds about uh, it held about 65 people. That was our legal capacity, and we had a back patio that held about 35. So what's that? 90, 100. Give or take. So we must have had 140 people crammed into our bar, uh, dancing on the bar, all these European brewers, all every every American brewer that heard all these European brewers were gonna be there, they wanted to be there. It was like <laughs> it was like it was like the beer version of Studio 54. It was hilarious. It was like where everybody wanted to be at, you know, bottles of Cantillon everywhere, like the whole thing. It was 
it was such a hoot. And those guys sat on the back patio, Will and Dan, and uh, I'm pretty sure Dan's wife, um, Tessa, was was out back. And they were holding court. And it was like everybody came in to pay their respects to the Shelton brothers. <laughs> and it was really funny. It was It was a real hoot, man. It was such an event and the beers were flowing and everybody was having a great time, but it had a really great mood to it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't this sort of like somber sniffing and swirling sort of corny beer event with a bunch of guys with big long beards and beer guts rubbing their bellies. It, it just had like this European hang that I just thought was such, so rad. You know, I really, yeah. really had a great time and it, it was kind of, that was sort of the pinnacle for me of like how cool a beer event could be was having these great brewers and the guys who brought the beer in and everybody was so happy about it, you know? Yeah. Hey, BR, what, what was the connection between cool beer bars like deep alum and places that were serving Shelton brothers? Cause I remember from New York city and the good beer seal, you were, you had so many really great small beer bars as accounts. Um, yeah, I mean, they, we would find breweries whether, or sorry, would find bars that either sometimes they would reach out to us, other times, you know, just word of mouth or a brewer would, you know, American brewer would be like, oh, you should check out this place. But it was bars that wanted to, you know, whether it was a good beverage program, restaurants, food and beverage program, um, but, you know, a similar philosophy of not just going after the hype but going a little bit deeper and looking for, for real quality as opposed to, yeah, I can just, you know, I can sell, you know, a hundred kegs of, you know, very cheap German industrial lager. Instead, I want something that is much smaller, whether, you know, and people who are into maybe some of their, even if they were into their, their local beer and food scene, wanted to find that a similar thing that was happening either in Europe or around the world to kind of, bring it together to show that, you know, there, there is that, this Joel was saying, a sense of terroir in a lot of these beers uh, and bring it, and it, it elevated their bar program as well to have beers that not everybody else had, but that were of excellent quality. Bjorn, uh, would you mention a couple of those New York beer, New York beer bars that, because um, I, I know you've been on the show with a few of them. Uh, well, there was Jimmy's number 43, of course, was uh, <laughs> the top beer bar. Um, you know, the, the, there's Torst uh, out in Williamsburg. Um, we, I mean, Blind Tiger, the original, one of the original beer bars in the city, uh, when they would put on, you know, mostly American, but would still put on some of our imports. Um, Ray was instrumental back in the day at DBA. DBA. That was one of the first places carrying a beer um the diamond bar sadly closed out in greenpoint was a huge supporter of our cask ales um because uh, he was really into you know sessionable ales so whenever we would have a cask shipment um he would he would go for the, the cask beers um i'm now oh bar great harry and uh, owl farm that group of mission dolores um those bars out in brooklyn are fantastic we're fan you know, mission dolores is no more but bar great harry and owl farm um, so many. I don't want to. I know Spiten. I'm. So, well, of course, I can't. How can I forget Spiten Dival? I think was possibly the first bar in New York to pour Cantillon. Um, Joe was just immediately enamored. This was even before I was working with Shelton Brothers, but I still would go there to drink. Um, yeah, Joe Joe Carroll at Spiten is you know had always been a huge supporter of of the Shelton portfolio, whether it was the sour beers or you know Mars. Bought so much Mars beer from us, uh, De La Sen. Um, Definitely one of the good ones. We did. I think ten years ago, we did a show with Joe Carroll, Spite and Dival, and kind of told us how he got in the business and um, how he met the Shelton brothers. But um, Br, what, tell us your background, just because you, you know you, you're part of this interesting group. I mean, you're one of the smarter people I know in the beer world. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> What did you do before you you sold Shelton Brothers beers? Uh, prior to Shelton Brothers, I had actually um, I was working uh, in nonprofits um, doing arms control disarmament, which was my focus in grad school, and then got burnt out on nonprofits. So was working in the music industry, and as before the show, found out that uh, promoted a band of uh, that Max's uncle was in. Um, 
And then after them, and I was always into beer. I lived in Europe growing up, um, went to high school in, in Belgium. So really just always had enjoyed beer. My, well, my dad was more of a wine person. He would always have good Belgian beer in the fridge. Um, and my husband and I would do, whenever we would travel to Europe for business, we would always make sure we could do beer stuff. We would go to Cologne every year for a music con conference. And, you know, we, we went to Franconia one year, another time, you know, did Black Forest, another time, you know, would go through France, um, try to visit French breweries. So that was, and became homebrewers. And that's how we met Dan. Um, our homebrew club was doing a, a study group for the, the beer judge certification program. And Dan was, we had opened it up to beer industry people in the city. I think we had people from Brooklyn Brewery. And that's how we met Dan initially, because he lived in Brooklyn. Um, so I kept in touch with Dan um, and helped him with uh, translations for some French things. Um, he hooked me up with Yvonne, who was writing a chapter for Phil Markowski's Farmhouse Ales book. So I translated that for into English for Yvonne, for uh, for Phil. And eventually Dan said, I need someone to speak French who can work with our French breweries. So that's how I got started with Shelton Brothers back in uh, 2019. Well, it's a love story. Sorry, 2009, <laughs> not 2019. Yeah, <laughs> it's a love story with everything about these beers. Uh, and Joel, we're going to get to you because you're, you're the hook with the tours. But Lauren and Colin, a little more about you guys. So from, you know, sword and bottles, sometimes you got to start in the cellar. And I, I remember I was a bar back in, right after college, and that's kind of how I ended up being interested in, in buying wine and beer. Um, tell us more about sword and bottles, Colin, because yeah. you're in the context of your place because – your place is really unique, partly because you you know how to sort bottles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do with my eyes closed back in the day. A little bit rusty now. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Do you really want to get into this? <laughs> yeah, we do. Come on. <laughs> Local color, Albany Beer Bar, Delaware oh, Supply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the bottle sorting days were in the back of the beverage center, and people. Boy, were they dirty. <laughs> yeah. Rolling up with truckloads, sometimes thousands at a time of all sorts of cans and bottles and the most disgusting shape you could imagine. Um, and breaking them down by distributor. Uh, and then like plastic can. And eventually you just get into a rhythm, put on some music and eight hour shifts goes by like nothing. <laughs> and then you open it, a yeah. store. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, fast forward six, seven years later, opening a bar with Lauren. Yeah, so I will I'll, say I'll, too that Colin, Colin, by the time he left Westmere Beverage, he was one of the managers and beer buyers as well. And I, I love that you guys first mentioned the Timothy Taylor Landlord beer, <laughs> which again I think I only got also kind of like a, I got a random visit to a distributor and I had a case of Timothy Taylor Landlord which I had never seen on any, any list or anything. So um, I guess that's part of how it all works. Right. Yeah. yeah what, what's another beer that, that, that you have on now or that you've been enjoying? Let's see. Well, we would be wrong if we didn't mention Duranka. Uh, we don't have anything from them on tap right now. However, I will say, so we went with Shelton brothers to Belgium and France in 2019. And in the morning of the, fir of the first full day, we were at Drifontaina, and that was just obviously going to be one of the most incredible experiences. We witnessed the last brew day uh, in May of that year, um, and uh, later that day, we were at Duranka. And I think to this day, I will say that was some of the best hospitality I've ever experienced. I don't know if Joel and VR, if you remember specifically just how incredible that day was, but... Um, just bottles of XX, you know, triple X getting dropped off on the table, Goldenberg, um, even their Christmas beer, Christmas uh, this, this room just full of charcuterie and cheese. Smelling uh, the all local. It was on, yeah, smelling the whole, yeah, you know, made sure we all knew that he only uses whole cone hops. Wow. Well, that, that's a good segue to Joel. Joel, we're going to finish up by talking about your tours. And tell us about that tour that Warren and Colin went on. Um, 
I don't remember anything about this tour. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> actually, actually, my memory it was a success. <laughs> my my memory is never as clear for details as other people. Clearly, because I don't even remember that Brie Fontaine and, and Duranka were on the same day. To be to be honest, <laughs> partly because I probably changed the itinerary this time, and it's not not the case. But um, I remember. Uh, I have to say that that group was amazing, and those two guys were amazing. You know. Uh, Lauren and Colin were amazing. The whole group was like a magical trip. It, it was almost too good to be true. And that really got us excited about continuing this program. Uh, so, uh, you know, when the Shelton Brothers thing sadly disappeared, I thought we have to continue this going because it's there's something about it. It's not like we're like these professional tour guides or it's this really slick thing whatsoever. It's more like this group of people who really love what they're going to visit and and they just appreciate it. We and I think it's the thing you were talking about earlier. A lot of you were talking about it's about the people. And these people are so amazing. And it was part of the, the thing that made it interesting for us was that the personalities that, that are over there and the sincerity and the passion they have. And that's what makes the tour what it is. It's not this uh rolling party or anything like that. It's just, I mean, they're generous, like like Lauren was saying, there's They'll give you all these beers, but it's that's not the point exactly, of course. It's just that these are great people, and that's really, in the end, what your whole life is about, right? And the fact that you can meet great people who are brewers, I mean, what more could you want? That's a great advertiser for my tour right there. <laughs> so, Joe, when you go to Franconia, this is a question I once asked Stefan Mars at Jimmy's 43 when he had later hosen on. <laughs> I, I said, Mar, and he was on stage, I said, Stefan, uh, how do you go to the bathroom when you have later hosen on? Well, if you ask Stefan a question about anything, you're, you're asking for trouble. But um, it reminds me of uh, when we did our radio show years ago, Shelton Brothers uh, High and Mighty show, that we had a guy from Germany in Kulmbach at the festival explaining why, uh, what the later hosen are really for, which is to pee in, basically. <laughs> so, so I I tried it out and yeah, it actually works very well. And um, yeah, you wouldn't want to put someone else's later hosing on. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, <laughs> is that part of the tour, Joel? So, what what, what tour is coming up? So, we want people to know you can still go experience these great relationships that you guys have with these brewers. What tour is coming up, and and how do I find it? Because I I can't go to the Sheldon Brothers site. Yeah, don't go there. There's nothing there anymore. Well, there might be. I don't even know. But uh, you go to innercircletours.com. It's called Inner Circle Beer Tours, but we didn't want to make it too long. <laughs> so so actually, the problem with that is if you go to Inner Circle, you might run into a tour about Stonehenge. But don't go on that one because the, <laughs> they don't have real ale on that trip. No, I just made that up. But um, yeah, Inner Circle Beer Tours, we uh, were fortunately, uh, it's kind of sold out, except for some things haven't sold at all. But the first trip is Belgium, France, similar to what Lauren and Colin did, almost exactly the same as 2019. Uh, that goes in early May. That's basically as of this week sold out. Uh, we're, we Here's the one I really wanted to talk about with Scotland uh, Beer and Whiskey Tour in May, exactly one month later. Uh, hasn't really caught on, if you will. And uh, uh, Kevin, our... Uh, UK rep from Shelton Brothers put together the itinerary. And uh, if anybody's out there thinking they want to go on a beer and whiskey tour with two of the finest men America has to offer as tour guides, uh, you should definitely look us up on the website, uh, Scotland Draft. Well, I think I think for that one, you should also get on Creative Drunk Show, Southern Teague's uh, Speakeasy. So um, you, you might have a whiskey audience too, which I, I'd go on that one. Hey, I'm, I'm going to stay on this note. BR, tell us more about this French and Belgium tour. Uh, maybe one of the French breweries that, that you knew really well. Uh, well, on this current iteration of the tour in May, we'll be visiting uh, Thierrier, which is in the far northwest corner of France, very close to the border with Belgium. Daniel Thierrier studied uh, brewing in Belgium, so he has kind of a, a Belgian sensibility uh, in terms of his beers. And then the other is, is Brasserie au Baron, which is the, the Cuvée de Jonquille, which is most definitely a hybrid Saison, uh, Bier de Garde, uh, blonde, effervescent ale, very earthy, um, but with sort of the, the kind of light spritziness of a Saison. 
combined with yeah, the, the earthiness of a Beardegard and a nice malt backbone. Um, and that's its mere kilometers from the border with Belgium. Um, the Bayou family um, is actually has an, uh, ancestors in, from Belgium. So, I mean, that, that border, you know, is almost kind of an artificial barrier in terms of the, the cultural exchanges. Um, and then right over the border, which we will visit uh, on after Oberon, um, or before, after, Joel can, can school me on the itinerary, will be um, uh, Blogy for the, with the wonderful La Monuse, uh, the Darbiste beers. They have really great Cezanne, um, just very unique in character. They, they use their DuPont yeast, but it has evolved so much that it's, it's really their own, their own yeast strain now. That was, um, but yeah, they're just wonderful people. Pierre Alex from Blogy, whenever he comes over to the U S you know, who would come for our festivals would always bring me Belgian chocolate. I mean, you know, you just don't, as Max was saying, these, these people are just very personable and cool and humble and, you know, I mean, what brewer brings you chocolate? I mean, that's, it's just such a, it's just, just a nice feeling. You know, we feel like they're family, really. Yeah. Lauren and Colin, one more memory of your, your tour to Belgium and France with Joel. All right. That's, that's cruel, but <laughs> um, I would have to say, can we each get one? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. So we, we got to go to Pabringa and visit Destroysa. Um, or distruse. I don't actually know how to pronounce that word. Um, yeah, how do you pronounce it? I thought it was distruse, but maybe Max knows. I don't know. <laughs> That's one oh, for anyway. BR. <laughs> <laughs> BR, how do you pronounce it? Uh, it, it it's a, you know also depends on if you're speaking with a French or a Flemish accent. So it's I've it's it, I've heard struisa and struis. So. All right. So we we visited them very. I think it was like I think we got there between nine and ten a.m. It was early. Super early. It was Too super early. early. <laughs> but, you know, we were ready to go. Um, and um, the wonderful host and owner, head brewer, um, he sort of just opens the tasting room and said, you guys are all in the industry. You're all bartenders. Here are the glasses. Pour your own beer. <laughs> I mean, they had Panapot, multiple Panapot. vintages on tap. It was just unbelievable. We got to pour our own beers at this choice, so. That was like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, really. It I mean, was. there was, yeah. it really was a line of I can't remember how many taps he had, and he's like, "I'll take a small group. We only, I can only take, you know, a portion of the group at a time for a tour. Everybody else, yeah, you serve yourself." <laughs> at <laughs> ten in the morning. It was so crazy. I I I changed that I changed that stop to the later in the day, just so you all know now. That's so smart. <laughs> that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> That's an ender. I'm trying to think. Do we? Where did we end that day? We, so we went to Wastewater, and, and then we ended in t at Tyria. That was a yeah. Lot. It was again Tyria. It was, was just an amazing. Experience. It was kind of backwards, and I've switched it around. So now it's Tyria, then Streza, and then then we go to a, a little brewery for dinner. So it's it's a little more sensible now. That's lovely. Yeah. Uh, Joel, how do you get around? You guys have a bus or bicycle? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We have a bus. We put a bunch of people in a bus, and we school them on beer. That's a, that a school bus, school bus joke. It didn't really, didn't really I know, work. It's good. Lauren, tell us the truth. How, how did you get around from one brewery to another? We got around. So this is actually a funny thing, too. So we had this this great bus driver, and it was just, it was just you know, like a tour bus. It was great. Um, but he refused to service the bathroom. <laughs> so we didn't have facilities the entire trip like on the on the actual tour bus. So we all had to be very responsible with our drinking. There is <laughs> some. There were like long stretches of, of driving between. Well, then Joel will tell you, Joel. So what, then, what what outfit should they have been wearing? <laughs> well, it wasn't appropriate for the country, but I would say lederhosen at all times. On <laughs> lederhosen. <laughs> and, and, and I, have, I have to say, Jimmy, that this this ties in with the Shelton, the infamous Shelton bladder uh, of legend that Shelton's people say. You guys never go to the bathroom, so it's probably we probably did that. <laughs> subliminally on purpose not giving a bathroom on the bus <laughs> and Colin you're, you, you had one what, what's your uh, your tour moment that you want uh, to mention yeah um, I mean going to Auburn, uh I think that was one of the last days but uh, drinking Cuvée de Jean Keys or I don't know if I'm saying that right um, 
and it's like it was yeah well lauren can lauren can school you too because she's yeah. she's got excellent <laughs> french jean-key it's not an easy word yeah yeah i think um i forget the name of the, the brewer um Xavier. But, but drinking that, he had just kegged right. it that morning, yeah. and it was just an unbelievable experience drinking that beer. Um, and that was like one of those, I don't know, a time and place moment of a beer and just like seeking that flavor again and just like to bring, just like to go back to that moment. Um, so maybe that's it. Maybe we all need to get on some of these tours and, and go to the source and uh, re- reinvigorate this, this, what beer can mean to people. You are you. You're good at summing things up. Um, you know, I don't like talking about the beer industry because I don't really think of it as an industry, but I do love the drink. Um, what 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 is it of the beers we've mentioned that you? I don't. You don't ever have to really convince anyone, but there there must be something you can say about these beers. I mean, Max said it pretty well, but. I want to see how what you say about these beers. I mean, it's it's. I think one thing is that we're not talking about. I go into a bar and order an IPA, and I think that each one of these beers has an identity. Yeah, I think. I mean, Max definitely put it very well in terms of the the balance, and you know, nothing is out of place. But a lot of them, and and this term is kind of thrown around a lot, but a lot of them have a you know a, a certain drinkability where. The beer is excellent. You can just, you know, commune with it, meditate over it, and be very serious about the beer and figure out what you know, what sort of different flavors because there is a lot of complexity. But they're also wonderful beers to have in company, which is the other thing that you know I think that that at Shelton Brothers you know, we just enjoy, particularly when traveling in Europe, where it's it's a very social activity, and these are beers that aren't clamoring for your attention necessarily. Um, you know, they they accompany a good conversation. Um, they accompany a good meal. Um, yet they're not just background noise either. But you know they can be in the forefront if you want them to be. But they're also happy to to just sit back while you enjoy your you know your the people you're with. And the beer is just and you know, I don't know I guess an added companion perhaps. It sounds kind of corny, but um, you know just there's something about drinking half liters of Terrace Bulba in Brussels with a bunch of friends that's just a wonderful experience because it's a great beer you're having a good time um and it's not too strong so you're hopefully not getting too too tipsy but um yeah i think it just kind All of right. it, it goes into the whole european idea of of enjoying your beer with with friends wow well, this has been a great show max let, let's let's close it out tell us uh, the new place you're opening in Maine. Tell us what your concept is for your beer list up there, because that's what I'm dying to know about. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I think I mentioned before that I have a real love for uh, German lagers. Um, I have a real affinity for food-friendly uh, beer because, uh, like uh, you know, Br said very well. You know, the the sort of European idea of enjoying your food with beverage your beverage with food your beverage with friends and your friends with beverage it's all sort of very holistic right um and uh unfortunately um the shelton brothers spears are not available in maine um so i i don't know i have to get kind of creative the the main thing that i won't be selling and i i'm sorry to alienate anybody but if it's hazy for the sake of being hazy uh, it can fuck right off. Um, pardon my rude language, but I, I, <laughs> I don't enjoy I don't enjoy that sort of thing. And um, uh, you know, we, we we typically pour a bunch of uh, quality lagers, German lagers, if I can get them. Um, I have been able to get some decent stuff from another European distributor uh, that kegs their beers in Connecticut that are quite good. Um, <clears throat> one of those is Franconian. Uh, but it's not sold by the Shelton Brothers, uh, or wasn't. Um, and then I typically try to sell a decent um, West Coast IPA, like Port Brewing Wipeout, I really enjoy. Uh, I think Tommy Arthur makes good beer. And then there's a couple of stuff, a couple things up in Maine. Uh, they, make an, they make some nice beers at Oxbow, and they make some nice beers at Maine Brewing. Um, but uh, the, the beer program has kind of taken a second, taken a back seat at that particular place. We're, we're sort of a cocktail-heavy 
location up in Portland. And as is my Boston location, you know, unfortunately, Deep Ellum is no, no longer with us. We had to close because of COVID. But um, it was sort of good timing and bad timing for the availability of the greatest beers I can get my hands on. I mean, all these Shelton beers that aren't available to us in Massachusetts. There's really not a lot of cask beer available. Even some of the other beers from Europe that weren't through the Shelton Butters that I was getting my hands on before are become kind of few and far between. Um, so the beer, the beer, the beer scene is kind of tough right now from my perspective. There's a lot of local focus on what's going on locally, um, which isn't all, which isn't all good um, as far as the quality of the beer goes. I think that one of the things that I miss most about the Shelton beer prof, uh, portfolio and something I, you know, was so happy to hear Warren and Colin excited about was that idea of traditional beer styles. And I feel like there's a time and a place for lots of different styles of beer, but there's something about those really good table beers or session beers or low ABV beer, beers or whatever you want to call them, that they just, they just really go with so many nice situations sitting with friends sitting outside in the sun sharing with food wow. and from a beer seller's standpoint i'd prefer to sell someone several low alcohol beers than a thimble of some really high alcohol beer that's hard to hard to you know stomach more than two of them and <laughs> one thing to you know to te to br you've put it really well as far as the the idea of the beers don't have to take center stage but they can they're not necessarily background music either. There's something that I always say about pretty much anything that I want to serve in, in, in our beverage programs at our restaurants is that I like to be able to nerd out or geek out about something. As I saw it, you know, you can sip it and swirl it and think about it and be contemplative, but you can also just drink it because it's yummy. You don't have to think about it. And when something ticks both of those boxes for me, that's something I know I can sell and enjoy. And that was something wow. that the Shelton brothers always did. Well, you know, Max, that's a great one. We're going to end with that. Um, we got a full over a full hour here. Thanks so much to everyone. I want to just give another shout out places that I know have posted recently, uh, former Shelton brothers beers. I know that Carmine street, which is a, a bottle shop in the West village, Manhattan as is, which is a beer bar on the West side of Manhattan and um, Beer Witch Brooklyn and Brooklyn ha have all posted recently uh, photos of different uh, Shelton Brother beers. So there's places to get them, and, and it's definitely still a way to sort the, the wheat from the chaff. And thanks so much, Max Toste, now of Lone Star Tacos and soon-to-be Lenora in Portland, Maine, and Lauren and Colin of uh, Delaware Supply up in Albany. Um, definitely great proprietors and definitely people you want to talk to beverages about br and joel um god and goddesses um so great to have you back and sorry we got to go thanks to kevin our engineer and alex our intern i'm jimmy carboni i'm the host on beer sessions radio we'll catch you next time on heritage radio network all right woo thank you guys beer sessions radio is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.